Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. We only go to greatness, and greatness always comes back. Thank you, Brian Bannister, for being so great and also being willing to be part of our family. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. I hope you're having a good off season. No, having a good off season. Hope you're having a happy new year and it's always good to be here. I was, as many people know, when Chris sale got traded, I was on a zip line over Honduras strapped in. I physically, where you should be. Yeah. (laughs) See, that's why you know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what? I've I had enough. I just throw caution to the wind. I'm just like I'm just hanging from a zip line over the jungles of Honduras, but I'm I'm strapped in and um and and I'm like there's nothing I can do. I can't tweet. I can't report. I can't I can't give my opinion. There's nothing I can do or want to do. We all should. And remember this, Brian. Remember how that was the week after Christmas, where everyone understood it was time off. It was um, I. It wasn't that long ago, man. It wasn't that long ago. I, I never worked between Christmas and New Year's with the Red Sox, and we we hired two minor league coaches this year. It it was full work all the way through the winter break. Oh, it's it, it's listen. It is what it is. We're 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 adjusting. I I do yearn for the days of the lockout where we had a deadline. uh but anyway we're we're moving on um i don't know you know i this wasn't planned but we were just talking about the coaches convention that you came from um it's it's how many coaches are there so it was in dallas right it was the what was a yeah it was at it was at the gaylord so they rotate the gaylord hotels the same way the winter meetings does okay um next year they're in washington dc at the one south of dc um, but it's a great event. I've never been able to go because uh, selfishly, my wife and kids want me to be home for their winter break from school. Um, but it's the only time college and high school baseball coaches get a break where they can all meet up together at the same time. So give me, give me, um, 
I don't know if you you don't have to share what you just shared. That's fine. It's up to you. But give me some good like anecdotes. Give me some stories. Like, it's I didn't realize how big it was, and then the the dynamic of new ideas, a bunch of coaches, like minded coaches, like anything you can that people would be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I was spoiled in that both my high school coach and my college coach, Mike Gillespie, who just passed away. Um, they were both in the ABCA Hall of Fame. So I was incredibly spoiled getting to learn the game of baseball under two Hall of Fame coaches. So they induct new coaches in the Hall of Fame every year at the amateur levels. Um, but it's it's a who's who of baseball there. Um, and then quite a few of the major league teams send out contingents to just kind of observe or pick up on new ideas here or there. And then the the Tech Trade Expo is really world-class. You see a lot of the newest technology and uh, all the swag. Uh, it's it's a great event. Um, so I, I was impressed. And there's everywhere you look, I mean, it's like here in San Francisco, we have SantaCon. Um, it's almost like Baseball Coach Con. And uh, everybody's in their sweat outfits. And um, it's it's almost, you know, Thomas Crown Affair. Everybody, everywhere you look, it's the same guy. <laughs> all right. So give, give me give me the – you love technology. I can tell, like, as I told Andrew Bailey the other day, it's like you had Apollo 13 as your camera set up, you know, <laughs> but uh, you love technology. There must have been something you're like, oh, wow, this is this is interesting. I mean, anytime you have a trade show and maybe it's not even something that's practical, but give me something that you saw that was like, oh, that was different. You know, uh, we've actually been searching for years and I'll give a shout out to the GT guys. Uh, they're down in, in Florida. Uh, we've been trying to come up with strike zone strings forever that are actually good and then won't move in the wind or won't deteriorate over time. And I think after a hundred years of somebody trying to figure it out, I think they, they actually pulled off two sticks with a zone that actually will give the pitcher the strike zone. Um, you know, we've had crazy ideas to make like a holographic strike zone with lasers or something just so when a guy throws a pen, he can see if the ball went through the zone or not. Um, kind of like the K zone on TV, but uh, I think they actually came up with something, and uh, I'm excited to try it out this year. What I mean, you have to elaborate. What, like, what, first of all, it's great that I'm asking you. I, I expected you to be like, "Here's a hologram of of Ted Williams," you could it, it, or whatever it is. But what is so? What is different about these strike zone strings? Because I've seen them. Like, I, you, you go to spring training, they're set up. The bullpens are set up, and the whole idea is hit that spot, don't move the string. Like, so how's this different? I mean, you saw us in Boston, Dana Levangie's out there. We're, we're drilling sticks in the ground. We're, we're taking shoelaces and trying to make a zone. I mean, there was just never a good way to do it. And uh, so they, they built these six foot tall sticks on both sides of the plate, uh, angular strings. Cause the, the zone tends to sag. You have strings going across the zone. They tend to sag. You don't get a perfect representation of the strike zone. Uh, I think they actually solved it, and the pitcher just gets to look at the zone and see it, and I think it's going to be a nice visual. So I think they finally came up with a good product that everybody's been trying to replicate for years. You know one of the worst jobs in the world, I think, is being a catcher behind strike zone strings. Because they're ricocheting all over the place, right? I think we can clarify that to being a catcher in general. <laughs> you know, we, we throw in the, the hitting dummy and they're getting ricochets off the hitting dummy. And, you know, they, I got my medicine when uh, they made me put the catcher gear on at Fenway and try and catch Stephen Wright's knuckleball. 
Oh, it was, it was one of the worst, most terrifying 20 minutes of my life. Um, I played catch them every day, but when he's in there throwing full speed and you don't know what's going to happen, I was getting balls hit all over me. So, um, I don't, I don't envy catchers at all. And I'm very grateful for what they do. How many, how many, speaking of which, this is again, you were just, and I think every time I talk to you, I sort of go down this rabbit hole of things, but how many, is, is there any knuckleballers at all? I mean, I know George Kirby threw the one in honor of Tim Wakefield, um, which, by the way, was a really good knuckleball. I watched that the, again the other day. Do you have anyone? Yeah, with see, see, Seager struggle with it. Yeah, uh, there, there's still guys out there trying to throw it. Uh, I almost wish MLB would kind of like foster an underground knuckleballers yeah. camp. It would just be fun, like just bring out a bunch of pitchers, and um, you know, we we could chip in some money and I, I would just love to see that part of baseball not go away. It's all about velo right now, but um, a lot of those knuckleballers just need time and refinement and reps. And they just usually don't get a fair shake because it's all about velo. And so when one finally sneaks through, I mean, at an elite level, Stephen Wright, R.A. Dickey, Wakefield, I mean, they, they can pitch at the top of the league when they're good and pitch for a long time. So it's, it's something that we should develop. Most teams are skittish on it, and I wish there was a better way to um, keep a culture of knuckleballing going. Well, two things. Number one, my guess is, you know, everyone likes control and certainty. And this is this two things that you don't have with a knuckleball, control or certainty. This is why, you know, with when it comes to postseason, you know, I remember Tim, he would, you know, have these unbelievable runs. And they get to the postseason, and as good as he was, they'd be like, oh, I don't know if we can do that because maybe it's a bad day. Uh, yeah, and so – and then the camp thing, I love that where uh, – uh, actually, Bailey was saying this the other day that he heard about the Japanese pitchers with the splitters camps, you know, for, for that – because because I mentioned what you had said on the last podcast, which I thought was awesome, where these guys in Japan are coming out of their crib throwing splitters – and we're catching up here in the States on it. And, and there's a reason why that has happened. So I like your knuckleball idea because it's the same idea, right? Unless I'm stupid. Yeah. And the Japanese pitchers are getting paid this off season. And there's a lot of good uh, free agents still out there who aren't throwing splitters. You know, maybe, maybe that's the secret right now. <laughs> um, I do. It didn't take much to like, it's like, that's, speaking of straight balls right down the middle, if I bring up splitter to you, I'm like, I can see you're like, oh, yes, let's go. Yeah. Let's talk splitter splitter. season. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get down to brass tacks. Um, you're with the White Sox. You've been with the White Sox now for at least a few months. You got your feet on your, you're ready to go. Uh, Glendale, right? Glendale? Glendale. Yeah. Glendale. Um, wh- what is the thing that when you go to the White Sox, so I, an unnamed pitcher, which I may or may not have written a book with, had said when he went from the Dodgers to the White Sox, there was a big difference, right? Not like all good people, all everybody has their strengths, but in terms of uh, technology, in terms of, you know, resources in that way, in measuring things. When you got there, and, and this, maybe this is part of your goal to build this up, what, what's your perspective of that? I think one of the most interesting scenarios in baseball, and I think you could probably apply it to the corporate world in general, is whenever you kind of have 
an embedded group of people uh, for a long time. I think the the most dangerous thing in baseball is not knowing what you don't know. Um, and it, you know, I think you can turn into an echo chamber of ideas where if there's not a lot of outside influences, um, you know, early on, I think you can be ahead of the trends and, and ahead of the curve. Uh, but after a while you start, I think losing perspective uh, little by little on what other teams are doing and how they're innovating the people they're bringing in. Um, so it's, it's not a negative because one of the things I've, I've appreciated the most so far is just the quality of people and uh, the loyalty. Um, but I think what's, what's been great this off season is there's been an infusion of new ideas with the White Sox uh, Josh Barfield coming over from the Diamondbacks, who was responsible for Corbin Carroll, et cetera, and did a great job on the position player side. Um, you know, I'm I'm working with the pitching group to to come up with some new ideas and and attack different styles of pitching. You know, talking with the scouts, talking with the front office, um, it just ends up uh, you know generating fresh blood in that you you end up investing in new areas coming up with new styles you want to go out and get and, and different ways of playing the game. Um, I, I always talk about it. It's like sitting at the final table of the World Series of Poker. Uh, every team in baseball has their style and their preferred way to play. We all know the odds at this point. We, we know all the analytics. Uh, there's just a style of play. And some styles of play you feel more comfortable with and some styles uh, you know underperform a little bit. And you, you want to you be playing a style that's relevant and innovative and that you feel like you can follow through on. And I think that's the direction we're headed and it doesn't happen instantly. It's always a, a multi-year process, but it's been really fun to work alongside the people that were brought in and know that the only way to go is, is up from here. And that's where you want to get into an organization is when people are excited about trying new things and uh, you know, the only direction you go is up. Can you give me a new thing? Without, I mean, I don't want you to any trade secrets, but can you give me a new thing? I, I think it's, um, you know, one of my big philosophies is just having a lot of diversity of styles on a pitching staff. And so being able to have knuckleballers, submarine pitchers, splitters, um, you know, guys that can pitch east, west, north, south, uh, approach angle guys, um, guys that can get guys out with less velo, um, that all those styles can be really valuable. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like collecting all these outliers. There's pitchers all over the place that, uh, if you know how to tap into the right strengths and what makes them unique, they can get hitters out. Cause you're just trying to get a hitter to miss by a little bit. And when you start, um, kind of discussing pitchers in a new light and valuing different types of attributes, I think you can really, um, get out there and, and do some cool things with a lot of unique pitchers. Okay. So let's. Speaking of unique pitchers, we had one on this week. It's like I said, it's White Sox week, um, sort of. Uh, Dylan Cease, he, I don't know if if you knew this. Uh, I said, what pitches have you invented? He's a smart guy. He's a very intriguing guy. He put together a poem about baseballs and boring literally in five minutes. I don't know if it was AI or not. I choose to believe it wasn't. Um, but uh, he said that he'd been fiddling, fiddling, with uh, Kevin Gosman splitter. Do you know about this? The, the one thing I know about Dylan so far is <laughs> he gives great food recommendations because he gave me a couple of recommendations right off the bat in Chicago 
and I went to those restaurants and he was spot on and I'm a foodie. Um, so if he's onto something, then <laughs> it's probably good for him. And, and I know we're going to explore it in spring training regardless, because yeah. I know he messed with the changeup last year. Um, he's just, you know, in that elite group of pitchers, when you average out his numbers over the last couple of years, he's one of the best starters in the game. Had the great run uh, two years ago where he was in the, the finalist for a, the Cy Young. And um, if he wants to add something, he's he's pretty committed to it. So I'm just looking forward to spending more time with him. I got a week with him at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, we'll get a lot of time in spring training. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I don't know how committed he is to that pitch. I think he's just fit. Like I said, I think fiddling with it is a, is a but listen, this is why you do it. This is who knows. Maybe it takes off. But what is the because. You know, not only because we had him on, but because Dylan's in the news and because I said I was pumping him up. I said, listen, you're not in trade rumors unless you're one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I I told him, I said, I will pick him for Cy Young. I, I believe I picked him for Cy Young this year. I'll do it next year. I know that he his numbers weren't great. But from your perspective coming in, what's the most intriguing thing about Dylan Cease? He falls in that category. Um if you look at the Garrett Coles, the Verlanders, uh, it's it's kind of the the power riding fastball with the two power breaking balls, and it, it's just a a style of pitching that's very effective. Um, you know, when he's right, he's hiding the ball well. When he's off a little bit, he's not hiding it as well uh, or tipping a little bit. So I think just cleaning up some of the little things and then getting him back to what made him so good two years ago is the priority. But um, you know, he's he's one of the best pitchers in the world. And I just love being around him. There's some guys that just instantly have a presence. Hmm. Uh, and like you talked about the poem, like they just have ways to make conversation where uh, some pitchers, it's a, it's a little tougher to come up with something to talk about, but I mean, he instantly has a subject matter for the day and it's, it's fun to be around him and uh, go on a tangent, whatever he wants to talk about that day. So he's, he's already won me over as one of my favorite pitchers in the game. Well, he's won us over also because everything you described is what makes good a good podcast. I mean, we've we've honestly we we talked probably more about disc golf than we have um, frisbee golf than we have uh, pitching. But um, yeah, so it's it's an interesting one, um, and and I, I do think that also anybody who reads a lot like he does, as, as someone who doesn't read a lot, but but I I. I I admire that. I admire he's constantly reading and that shows me something. He's an intellectual guy. Um, all right. So let's get back to it. Uh, another guy on your staff, a new guy, Eric Fetty. Um, talk to me about now. I always find this interesting about the courting, the information, the, the, what, this is what we have. This is what we have to offer. This is what we see in you. This is where we're going. All of it. The floor is yours with him, with that situation. You know, whenever a pitcher goes overseas, um, everybody immediately says, you know, quality competition. That, you know, if they perform better, it's because the hitters weren't as good. Um, you, you'll hear that over and over again. What I look for is, did something significant uh, change with this pitcher? Whereas it's not just the same guy that pitched in MLB going overseas and having increased success because the hitters aren't as good. Um, if there's actual changes to the arsenal, changes to the grips, changes to the style of pitching, um, now there's reason to believe that 
there's a significant jump in talent and production. And so you have to adjust for quality of competition. Um, but what I saw is, is similar to, you know, changes that, that Logan Webb made, uh, who I had in San Francisco the last couple of years, uh, et cetera. You know, Alex Cobb, we did a lot of things too. Kevin Gosman. So I play a lot with the seams on the baseball and I look for guys that have that capability because only certain pitchers have the anatomical attributes to actually leverage the seams on the baseball and generate later movement, extra movement, et cetera. Um, so he was always one of those guys that I had kind of bookmarked as being a candidate for that style of pitching to get a little more out of him. And he went on his own, uh, worked at the same facility that Logan Webb did in the offseason, and then went over to Asia, uh, was basically you know, Cy Young MVP, and was leveraging all the new things he added. And then you know, there, there's a reason to, to bet on an improved skill set as opposed to this is the same guy that had a five-year array that just faced weaker hitters. Um, that, that's often the argument. I, I look for actual improvements in skill sets and I look for pitchers that are passionate about getting better and he put in the work he made himself better um, and so there, there's always a little regression coming back to better quality competition but uh, I'm excited to, to be around him for the first time this spring you know you when you're talking and I'm talking about recruiting and 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 convincing um, I would imagine a lot of stuff that you said hit home for him you know everything from the guys you worked out with the explanation that you had because it would be easy for our organization to say, Hey, Hey, good job. Good job over there. Yeah, keep it up. There you go. But here's the reason why we think that you are going to be good. I don't know what was the thing that you felt like hit home the most for him, you know? Yeah. And you know, him having uh Scott Boris as an agent, um, Ultimately, it, it came down to dollars. Um, you you had to be the highest bidder, uh, as as Scott's norm. <laughs> um, but we we were excited about the style he was pitching in. Um, you know the way that our our off season had gone so far, adding uh, defense up the middle, um, and just playing in a small ballpark, uh, trying to keep the ball in the ballpark because the White Sox last year struggled with walks. Uh, home runs are always an issue because the ball flies. And so uh, having a pitcher that could keep the ball on the ground, leverage the defense a little bit, uh, there was some synergy there where at at the cost uh, that he was going to come out as a free agent, uh, it made sense for us in trying to build out innings and a rotation. Well, I think, you know, so I, I spun it as what, how did you convince him? But really the, the fact is, is that you had, like you said, he, he felt like there was a good place for him to land to succeed uh, along with the money in years. So there you go. I'm excited. I'm excited to die after your explanation of it to see him pitch because we get so caught up in which is the best free agent. I'm not saying he's going to be the best free agent, but whatever. Like it's stranger things have happened. So it's uh, it's going to be. And you mentioned up the middle. That's another thing I wanted to ask you about Maldonado. So how much from the organization was that prioritized? Did he say, go in and say, all right, part of this whole figuring this whole thing out, this piece has to also be part of it. Take me through that a little bit. You know, coming off a 101 lost season, uh, something wasn't right. And what we're trying to do is, is build it the right way. And sometimes you have to start with veteran leadership or people that players that have been exposed to the best ideas in the game. 
Um, I try to get exposed to the best ideas in the game from a coaching perspective, um, but it's also helpful when there's players who have been exposed to the best idea and, and having that synergy. Um, so between uh, Stassi, who was dealing with uh, you know his family uh, the previous year, and Maldonado, um, just two sets of catchers that um, are very advanced at what they do and pairing them up with Drew Butera, longtime major league catcher. First time the White Sox have had a dedicated catching guy at the major league level. Um, so what, what you do from there is, and you can argue you know, about the offense, you can do a lot of things, but we have to start somewhere as far as building an elite pitching culture and Maldonado having been in Houston all those years, uh, Stassi really being exposed to some of the better pitchers in the game uh, and Butera, you know, being well-traveled as the catcher and, and just having a family in the game. Uh, we're going to be able to build a, a catching culture that future catchers can build off of. It's going to have a trickle-down effect throughout the minor leagues, and when we bring in future free agents uh, or, or future trades, uh, we'll have established the infrastructure behind the scenes that allow us to be more productive on both the pitching and the catching side. So there's, there's multiple layers to it beyond just um, you know an ad hoc signing. Uh, bringing in catchers who have been some of the best in the game at one point is going to help infuse a lot of new ideas into what we're doing and really set uh, the culture for where we want to be in future years. That must be like such a security blanket, man. It must be such a security blanket for, for you guys to, to know that, because if you aren't, it goes to the analytics stuff, the messaging, the analytics to the players. This is another messaging thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, for you, it must be good. I think, right. Yeah. When you, when you know, you have a veteran back there, catchers compound the quality of your pitching staff. Um, so what you're willing to make sacrifices on the offensive side to scale up all of the attributes of the pitchers. And it's a strategic trade-off in the short term in order to build a, a culture an analytics culture and just a way of working uh, pregame, postgame that allows us to be a superior team in the future. All right, two more pitchers I want to ask you about. One is pitching for you, another is not. Uh, I will start with the one that's pitching with you and finish with the one who's not. Uh, a friend of the program, Michael Kopak. I've, I've got a chance to be around Michael ever since, you know, when you were the, with the Red Sox organization and – uh, he's come so far. I mean, he's come so far in so many ways. And I really, really enjoy talking to him. Um, and he's shown glimpses. I know that he was really banged up last year. Um, but he has so much potential. He's not the guy anymore. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not the guy who's going to play. Here's a video of me throwing 110 miles an hour, you know, with the with a 15-foot running start. You know, like not worrying about that. Um, but what's your take on Kopech? I think he's such an interesting guy. Yeah, he's been great. And, uh, you know, having had him with the Red Sox and now with the White Sox, I, I've kind of seen the mellowing out of his personality. The The intensity and the fire is still there, but it's a, it's a more mature version of what I saw many years ago uh, where he was young and, and excited, but, but also raw at the same time. And for me, I want to put him in the – the best role where he's going to succeed. And, um, you know, for a lot of pitchers, it's finding a sweet spot between role and preparation. And some guys overthink, some guys work out too much. 
you know, it's kind of solving what a pitcher needs uh, in between outings in order to get the most out of them, I think is a big part of, of getting the most out of Kopech. So he's, he's a tremendous athlete. I mean, at one point, one of the hardest throwers in the game, and that, that velo is still in there. And so just putting him in uh, a position where he can succeed and, and let the ball eat and not have to overthink anything or over game plan or, or worry about things, not have too much downtime is a big part of how we can support him uh, because he's a different guy than he used to be. Uh, but all that talent is still in there, and I'm really excited to watch him pitch in 2024. Do you remember? I mean, you obviously remember when he was young, and obviously he goes over in the Chris Sale trade, and that you, you trade for Chris Sale, you got to give up something. So, but your perspective back then about what he was, what he was going to be, and and like you said, we all thought, oh, he's the guy who throws 105 with he looks like Thor, you know, so. But now it's, it's different. So do you remember that? Do you remember like when, when that trade was made, what your thoughts were? Yeah, and uh, I distinctly remember because he had been throwing well in the Arizona Fall League at the time. And, um, you know, we, multiple different arms have been talked about in that trade. I remember I was in the room when it went down at the winter meetings. And, uh, uh, you know, Jason Groom's name was in there, et cetera. Uh, but Kopech had been throwing a hundred in the fall league and, and teams were on them. And so, um, you know, just at that time, guys that throw a hundred plus for me really have a chance to be elite leverage relievers or closers. Um, I kind of saw him as like potentially one of the better closers in the game mm. with the ability to throw 101, 102, et cetera. Um, when guys have that much velo, it, it's just easier to just let them eat uh, for an inning. Um, everybody wants him to be a starter, but it always feels like, man, that, that skill set can go out and just dominate for an inning. So kind of back then, that, that was my own personal perspective is that this guy's going to be one of the best leverage relievers in baseball at some point. And I think you saw that a couple of years ago. He was. Um, so, the, you know, the future is still so bright for him. And ultimately, I just want him to be in a role that he's comfortable with and he can let all that physicality shine through. Because he's he's a specimen, he's put together, and you just stand around him and you you feel really insecure about yourself. <laughs> yes, uh, that's yes. how put together he is. Yeah, now and and, and and he's such. It was so good to catch up with him a couple different times this year. And like I said, I mean, I remember going through the whole deal with him as you guys did. I mean, I remember him walking by with a cast. Why do you have a cast? And then you find out you get a fight with a roommate and like all of that stuff. And now you land like this guy who is a very thoughtful guy and, and a good guy. And, and by the way, I can't let you go like without asking you, what's it? Not everybody's in a room for a Chris Hill trade. I mean, that must, that must've been fun, right? Wild. I don't know. I mean, it was, it was one of the bigger trades, um, you know, in the game for a while. And to, to watch it go down, to see the back and forth, um, you know, Dabrowski would, would feel the calls and, uh, I remember we were just kind of like spitting through names and trying to get the valuations right. And it was just a lot of fun when that one happened. That was a big deal because we knew we were all in and we were going for it. And it, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, I remember Dave, he was in such a good mood. It was such a good mood. <laughs> like after the fact. Um, speaking of which, this is, this is how much of a pro that I am. I'm morphing into the Chris sale conversation. You had put up after his trading, 
when I was on the zip line, uh, a it, it looked like a, a slow motion camera version of a fast his fast best fat one of the most unique fastballs. I forget exactly what you tweeted up, but one of the most unique fastballs, which obviously leads me to okay, tell me about it. Tell me about your perspective of a healthy Chris Sale, what that's like, why you put that video up, what's different about him. Yeah, I mean, every picture I've seen for the last six or seven years is me walking around Fort Myers with a a camera and a tripod. You know, every article, somehow that got into all the uh, stock photo agencies. And (laughs) so I I took all these high-speed videos uh, for years And some of them, you know, creative aesthetic angles, just because I wanted to watch from like the batter's perspective. Um, So I had set up high speed cameras behind home plate just to see what does Chris Sale's fastball look like from behind the catcher? Uh, What does the umpire see? What does the batter see? And just the aesthetics of of that particular fastball that I posted. um, You know, Chris has an amazing delivery. He's this skinny, wiry, tall. He strides cross body. He jumps after he throws towards first base and it kind of slings it, kind of launches it. And he just has like perfect spin on the baseball. So the way that he, I mean, I always think back to 2017, he punched out 308 guys and was throwing 98 miles an hour in the last inning sometimes, kind of just jumping off the mound and slinging his sidearm. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And then to get to watch it under high-speed camera, um, just aesthetically was was incredible. And so I have just tons of footage like that. And it's just it's just fun to appreciate the talent that he has. Um, so I had seen Alex Cora post something on Instagram and uh, kind of dove into my hard drives. And uh, I, I had remembered that video clip in particular that I've probably watched it a thousand times. And I just wanted the rest of the world to appreciate the beauty of Chris sales fastball in slow motion. And uh, it, it's really just amazing how he just like stares down the barrel of that fastball throughout the whole clip and just is so poised, so balanced. And uh, it's, it's really fun to watch. Well, that's the thing is that I look at it and I'm like, that's a cool image. You look at it as saying, look, where's his fingertips? Where are his eyes? Where's his balance? All of that. Right. Yeah, he's uh, very special at what he does. You wouldn't teach that delivery to other pitchers, but when pitchers organically have a delivery like that and they can still uh, repeat themselves pitch after pitch and produce elite velocity or spin or pitch shapes, uh, you just tip their cap because as a coach, you just don't want to disrupt that kind of art on the mound. All right, last thing. What's that guitar behind your head? That's actually one of my travel guitars that that I would take on the road. So it's it's one of my uh, cheaper ones, but I have a, a nice collection of, of Gibsons and uh, old speaker stacks. And uh, I get out here at least back in the day would wail a little, little bit, and All it's right. tough to do with kids now. But I have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, well, you got to help me with my Hall of Fame ballot reveal next year, please. Um, tap into your famous USC friends. I tried getting Eddie Vedder, uh, did not work out, but I, I, I like where I landed, Brian. I did the, the whole, um, um, immaculate grid thing. So listen, so I, there you go. Any, any very nice, very nice. Yeah. You know, we're, we're trying, but you're a creative guy. You can help me next year. Uh, <laughs> is there, you know, I didn't, the only picture I voted for, I think was Wagner, but you know, the one Burley had a case, man. 
he had a case. It's what's amazing about Burley is that obviously he pitched a long time, and you go to his last year, and he's still under a four ERA. I mean, he's still it's he pitching deep in the games. You know, he he was good across the board. So yeah. I don't. Yeah, the the longevity case. You know, I, I'm a little biased towards it now because we're not we don't see longevity anymore. You don't see pitchers going deep into games. You don't see pitchers being left out there to battle through the ups and downs. And my, my favorite Burley story was I pitched against him in Kansas City, and he came out and gave six, seven, eight runs in the first inning and uh, ended up staying in the game and, and winning. Really? <laughs> they, they left him in for eight innings, even after getting shelled in the first. Oh. Yeah, he just kept going out there, doing his thing, picking people off at first, and uh, just they kept creeping back. And he ended up getting the win in that game. And it was one of the, the gutsiest performances I've ever seen. Oh, uh, so I, I always have tremendous respect for Mark Burley. By the way, I don't, that's never, ever happening ever again. Ever, ever, ever again. Never, never. No. All right. Well, no. thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Always great. Always a pleasure. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I, uh, I look over at my dad, and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.